today. I'm your host, Kirk Space. Are you saved today? Do you have a born-again Christian experience that you want to share on the show? Do you consider yourself religious? Are you questioning the Bible or even God's existence? If so, I want to have a conversation with you. You can reach out to me at rustpodcast at proton.me. That's rustpodcast at proton.me. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me over there, shoot me a message. I'm currently in the process of, you know, getting myself onto the other uh, social media networks that are out there. I'm a busy guy. I I drive truck 12 hours a day, and, you know, I got a four-year-old daughter. So I'm uh, trying to do as much as I can for you guys as I can. Uh, So today on this episode, this is a very, very powerful uh, testimony. And on this episode, I have Robin Kuhn coming on. And Robin is a member of uh, Cross River Tabernacle up in uh, Grand Island, New York. So I met Robin through um, going to the meetings up there. And this brother, let me tell you, I love this brother dearly. And he's come a long way. Uh, and you'll see, he's, this is another long episode. And um, you're going to see... How the Lord systematically moved in his life to, to bring him where he's at today. And it's it's an incredible testimony. And before we get into Robin's testimony, I want to take some time here to talk to uh, my listeners, uh, anybody who's come, or, well, yeah, anybody who has come on the show already, or anybody thinking about coming on. When I started this show... Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts in my truck at work. So I've had uh, this idea in my head for the past couple years and finally took the plunge because the Lord just wouldn't let up on it. So I had an idea in my head of how a podcast should uh, function and run. And, you know, there's a specific pattern and layout and, um, you know, just a, a specific way that most shows do things today. So when I started this show, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to, you know, interview born again Christians to, you know, share some testimonies to try and get people saved. And I'm going to release one episode a week because that's just what I thought you should do. When I set up my RSS feed, it gives you um, the option to pick in your bio and your settings how frequently you're going to post. And it goes daily, weekly, semi-weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, so on and so forth. And I chose weekly because that's, you know, what I thought I should do. So when I started doing these interviews, there was a nudge in my heart to just put them out, get them up and, you know, load them. And everybody said, well, you know, you, you should just do one a week, just do one a week, just do one a week. So that's what I was doing. Well, the last episode with Taylor and his stepmom, April. I recorded them last week, 
And uh, I told them that, you know, I had another one that I just posted that night and theirs would be up the next, uh, the, the following week. And then I recorded Robin the next night. And the next morning, Robin texted me and asked when his, uh, when his episode was going to air. And I told him, well, I have one ahead of you uh, scheduled already to be out. So yours is going to be a week from next Wednesday, right? And immediately, I got convicted by the Holy Spirit. Real bad. I mean, real bad. Because Robin was so excited, and he wants uh, he wants to help people, and he wants everybody to to hear his story, and he he put his personal information out in this recording for anybody in similar scenarios to reach out to him. So when I told him it was going to be almost two weeks that his show was going to come out, I felt terrible after telling him that, and the Lord spoke to me immediately and said, this isn't your show, this is my show, and you're going to put these episodes out as soon as you get them. And he brought to my attention a memory I had of one of the shows that I listened to a few years ago. Uh, This show did an episode talking with somebody who was a veteran and had terrible PTSD and suicidal thoughts and was going through a really hard time. Well, it was a really powerful episode, and the host of the show sat on that episode for about six months because he had such a backlog, right? Well, maybe a couple weeks before, or no, it was after his show aired, uh, he got an email from one of his fans' wives, and they were canceling his membership and she said, you know, I want to reach out to you and let you know that my husband was a follower of your show. He was a member, he paid the subscription fee and he recently killed himself because he had terrible PTSD and suicidal thoughts and he passed away. Well, the host of the show felt terrible because the show he had recorded that he sat on for six months he felt could have potentially saved that guy's life if he heard it in time. And the Lord brought that to my mind and basically spoke to me and said, look, these are people's testimonies of how they came to Christ. Okay, this isn't entertainment. This isn't for fun. This is to get people saved because ultimately people are on their way to hell. And that's the truth. So if I have a powerful testimony, any testimony, any story of anything that the Lord has done in somebody's life, if I have that episode sitting on my computer for a week to two weeks to three weeks, and there's somebody driving in their car down the road, and they have a thought, or they get in an accident or something, and they die, and they go to hell, well, maybe if I would have aired my episode when I recorded it, maybe I could have prevented them from going to hell. And that's the message the Lord put on my heart yesterday, yesterday morning. So I went home immediately and I uploaded uh, Taylor's episode. And now today I'm going to upload Robin's. So to anybody out there that I said, uh, who's already recorded with me, um, 
it's going to be a while or it's going to be a week or whatever, I apologize and I'm sorry and I'm repenting of that publicly because I'm not doing this show for money. I'm not doing this show as my job. I have a job and I make good money. So I don't need anything. I'm doing this show for the Lord because it was put on my heart to do this for the kingdom of God. So from here on out, friends, any interview I get, it's going to be uploaded as I get them because that's the right thing to do in this. And if at some point down the road, the Lord wants to make this my full-time ministry and pull me out of a truck, that's, you know, that's, that's up to God. And I'm going to let him continue to lead this show to how I feel he's leading me to do this show. So with that out of the way, you guys sit back, relax, and get a box of tissues because Robin's testimony is going to blow your mind. Robin, I love you, brother, and I'll see you next time I'm in Cross River. So, Robin, how are we doing tonight, brother? Um, I'm doing all right. Um, dealing with life as it is. And uh, and um, actually, believe it or not, just allowing God to run my life today, which, which is a very big difference to the way I used to live. Amen, brother. I, I hear that for sure. Um, so you and I, uh, we met through uh, Cross River Tabernacle. And a little bit of the backstory here, uh, Adam and Jared went down to camp meeting in Baton Rouge, and they called me and said, uh, Pastor Mike came down with this guy named Robin, and Robin is fairly <laughs> new to... Serious? Yeah, he said that he's fairly new to Cross River Tabernacle, and you you got to hear this guy's testimony. It's, it's incredible. And then I didn't meet you until the next time we came up to New York. And uh, so you and I had met maybe a couple, two or three times. I'm up for the uh, the SBN meetings, and uh, you and I shared some words. And I, we've been trying out here to get this interview done for a couple weeks, and uh, I'm pretty excited to hear uh, what the Lord's done in your life, Robin. Well, I'm going to say this: um, all my life, and I didn't realize it, I was searching for something, something to change me, or something to make me feel good, or whatever and um at a very tumultuous time in my life i i drove into the parking lot of cross rivers tabernacle and a, a young lady a young lady pulled up next to my truck and she said uh i, I asked her she said something to me i forget what it was and uh, i i didn't know where i was i just in a parking lot eating a piece of pizza from my friend's uh pizza place and she told me I'm in the right spot. Huh. And I said, the right spot. <laughs> and uh, she said, yeah, Jimmy Swaggart's here. I, I mean, Donnie Swaggart, excuse me, his son. Wow. And I looked at her and I said, I am not in the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's actually funny is I walked in out of curiosity and my wife who was divorcing me and I hadn't spoken to in probably 90 days was sitting with her spiritual mother, her spiritual mother from a different church, but cross centered, um, seen me walk in and I spun around and left. And this lady texted me 
get your butt back here. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and to this day, I'm forever grateful for that woman telling me to come back. Wow. Praise um, God. Oh, pray, praise God. I had no way out of the way I was living. I wanted out since I was a young man and I couldn't do it. And that was the problem. I thought I could. Right. Yeah, I hear that. Well, uh, we'll jump right into it here. I'll open us up with a word of prayer and then I'll just kind of let you take the reins and we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. So heavenly father, heavenly father, Lord, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to sit here with Robin and let him share his testimony to the entire world, Lord. And we just pray, God, that your spirit can move in this conversation today between me and Robin. And we pray, Lord, that this recording can go out to whoever needs to hear it, that you can lead it to anywhere in the world, Lord. And God, we just give you all of the praise and all of the glory. And in Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Well, well, you could start wherever you want. If you want to take us back as far as you want, uh, I know you have a real heavy past, so don't feel pressured into you know going into too many details. Just whatever you're comfortable with, let the Spirit lead it, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, my past does seem heavy, but what I'm going to say is this. is I'm totally comfortable with sharing everything today. Um there was an FBI agent, his name's Joe Griffin. And, uh, and pretty much everything I'm about to say about my past has already been, and not about me, but about the people I was with, uh, has been written down. So there's nothing that I'm sharing that would be considered any type of, uh, you know, hurting anybody today that's out there or anything. Everybody that was in my life, I believe was, a portion of the path which brought me to where I am. So I, I don't look at it as negative as, as I used to. So I'll start off with this. I grew up in an Irish family right from Ireland. Uh, my grandfather, the Harpers, they were from County Clare. And my grandfather, Cooney, um, was from the north. And he was Protestant. <laughs> so anyways, I grew up in an Irish family that uh, pretty much despised each other but the grandparents were beautiful people and they tried they really tried in their own ways to help bring me closer to god because we were a god-centered family um even on the catholic side which today i won't put down catholicism um they got their own <laughs> the fruit the fruit actually shows everything today but um i grew up on the catholic side and it was very law ordered. And my grandparents on the Catholic side were a lot more lenient than my grandparents who were <laughs> assembly of gods and very Pentecostal and were very loving, but strange to me. <laughs> they, um, I would go to Sunday school sometimes with them, I'd go to Sunday church with them sometimes when I stayed with them. And I seen things that was definitely not permitted in the Catholic Church and seemed very strange. But this is what I want to say as I reflect on my life. My grandparents on the Catholic side lived in a very chaotic, alcohol 
Um, it, it was very chaotic. Let's just put it that way. They were really good people. But again, today I find out trying to live by the law only makes it worse. And, uh, right. It, and then I had my other grandparents, which, like I said, was assembly of gods. And there was something there. I don't know what it was, but there was something there that always intrigued me. And uh, that that is the beginning of my life. But here's my story, and I'll try and keep it as short as I can. Is um, My mother, um, I really don't know much about her youth or, or the things that affected her, but my mother had me with... Uh, with my with her husband well hang on i'm gonna change that my mother was married she was getting a divorce and she had a one night stand with a man named sam bennett i'm the product of that relationship and i never knew that because i was then brought up a man named carl coon their name was cooney when they came over from ireland but ey got taken off um this man loved my mother and he was from the Protestant side of my family, my grandparents. Now, again, I never knew I was adopted until later on in my life. But this man was one of the most special men in the world. I didn't realize it at the time, probably realized it more after he passed. But he, he had morals, he had values. And he lived by them. And he didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. Because it was in him. And I didn't know all those things in the beginning. But what I'm going to go on and say is this. is My mother, I had an older brother. His name was David. And we had a very, very normal family in the beginning. Uh, Sunday school. Um, go to school. My mother dressed us up, you know, the best clothes we could. We were, we were lower middle class at the time, maybe middle class. My father was a union boilermaker and traveled a lot, but again, very attentive to, uh, us boys. Um, each one of us children have a different father, but my sister is the product is a product of the marriage between Carl who raised me, Carl Kuhn. Um, for some reason, Carl took his time and attention with me more than the other children. And I don't know why, but today, I just believe it was the type man he was. He tried to guide me. There, there was maybe recognize something in me. But anyways, um, my brother went off to Vietnam in 19, uh, 1969, uh, 1968. He was alert in the United States Army. His name was David Coombe. And he came home and uh, he said to me, he, he, he took me for a ride in his GTO and he told me he was going back, that he had never experienced such camaraderie, friendship in this beautiful country. And uh, <clears throat> he told me, he says, listen, if, if I don't come back, you can have the goat, the GTO. I had, I'm 12 years old. I have no <laughs> idea what he's talking about. But my brother's the coolest dude in the world. He's got this uniform. And I was basically like his dog. He would take me out and throw frisbees to me in the <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a cool little relationship, but he was older. So um, anyways, he went back to Vietnam. And 90 days later, a knock came at our door. And they told my mother that my brother was missing in action. 
And I watched within 30 days, our whole family change. Hmm. Um, 30 days later, a knock came at the door again and they had found my brother's body. He was confirmed dead. And I don't know what happened. Uh, again, I was young, but everything changed in our lives. Um, my mother at that moment lost her mind. Um, I, I never, never ever really um, seen my mother again as far as emotional and stuff as the way it was when we were kids. Um, she was in and out of mental institutions. Um, I noticed drug abuse. Um, alcohol became a, became a issue. And my father, the man who you know, I'm telling you is his parents were assembly of gods, um, went through total, I'm going to say hell on earth. Um, it, um, I carry a scar on my hand from a butcher knife, stopping my mother from a suicide attempt. And it, that was the life we had. You know, everything would be fine for a couple of days, and then mom would just, I, I really don't know what happened, but she lost her mind. And I remember this. On the way to the hospital, I had my hand stitched up because I was laid wide open. Um, she's telling me the story I'm going to tell. Now, I got spankings for lying, <laughs> but she told me the story I'm supposed to tell. And I remember saying, but that's not what happened. But I was at that time, I was taught that you could lie in certain situations if it benefited you. <laughs> I mean, I caught all that, you know? Yeah. Um, and it became, I really don't know what it became, but um, I know this today after coming to Cross Rivers is that we are sinful, evil people until we turn our lives over to Jesus, understand what he did on that cross, and then utilize what he gave us when he died. And that's the biggest thing that was missing in my entire life. Um, I went to church often as a kid, went to church throughout my life. Um, even tried different denominations, but I was never, ever, ever given the message of the cross as described in Romans 6, 7, and 8 by, you know, by Paul. Um, I had no way out, and I wanted out. But anyways, I did fairly good in high school. I, I was a good athlete. Um, it, it gave me a little extra props in high school and stuff. Um, in Buffalo, I'm from the Irish section of town, South Buffalo. Um, then we moved out to Fredonia. But um, I joined a street gang when I was young. And it was called All Tough Bastards. And all of us, all of us, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but all of us really didn't have our real fathers. But we weren't the gangs like they see today. We hung out in the park. We played football. Uh, against other gangs. Now, every once in a while, we might get in a little beef with somebody, but um, there was a sense of family. And I think that that also became ingrained in me. So anyways, um, pride, pride uh, becomes an issue in my life. I'm going to try and go through this as quick as I can, but some of the things that I learned at Cross Rivers became the most detrimental things in my life. They not only destroyed me, anybody that loved me, 
shed many tears or were hurt often because of my pride. So anyways, I'm in high school, telephone rings, and my father was a union boilermaker. And the business agent just needed bodies on a job. And I heard my dad talking with him. And he says, no, my son's not available. And he hung up. Well, when my dad sat back down at the table, I said, Dad, who was that? And he said, that was John Barry from Union Hall. What do you want, Dad? Oh, he wanted to put you to work. And my dad was a hard worker and stuff. And he was going to put us all through college, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, you're not going to be able to put us all through college. Why don't you let me go to work? And he said something about money. That, that money would go to my head and I promised them it wouldn't. I promised I'd do my homework. And at age 17, I went to work in the steel mills with the boilermakers at full union pay. I was making more than my principal in high school. I went from being a kid who wore clothes from uh, back then it was Back then, it was Twin Fair up here, which is like a Kmart. And I'm not saying the clothes are bad there. I get stuff there today. But we didn't have the best of clothes. It wasn't from pennies, you know. Um, but my mom always kept us dressed well. And uh, Dad kept food on the table. And we had a nice little home. But I got this job, and my first paycheck, I looked at, and I was shocked. I went from working at uh, um, one of the hamburger joints. For I think it was a dollar eighty-five. So I'm making eleven oh five an hour in nineteen seventy-six. I got the sixty-nine Chevelle. I'm wearing the best jeans, and I got money in my pocket. And I heard on the job one day, if you got it on the hip, you don't have to take no lip. And it became became a, a core theme in my life that would I would use to make myself feel good. Anyway, I went to work with the Boilermakers, and uh, life changed in a way. But at home, I couldn't take my mother's, uh, I couldn't take and didn't understand my mother's mental illness. And I ran away um, soon thereafter, got my own apartment, um, bought a 69 Chevelle, um, and I thought that I had arrived. I finished high school, never, never missed a day. You know, I was sick once in a while, but I graduated from high school somewhere in the middle of everybody with the intentions of going to college. Well, like my dad said, the money got to me. I went to college and I was cleaning the tables, <laughs> cleaning the tables in the cafeteria to help pay for my dorm. I said, man, this ain't working. <laughs> this, this is not working. Um, I can go back and be a boilermaker. And I didn't want to let my parents down, so I told them I was coming back to Buffalo um, to try college here at Damon University. It was a uh, it was an all girls Catholic school the year before, and I chose to sign up there because of that reason, <laughs> which sounds a little. That's not why you pick a college, but that's why I did, and uh, I was close to Buffalo. And I continued working with the Boilermakers and soon thereafter quit college. Um, I had a high school sweetheart. Her name was Mary. And from the moment when I started making that money, all the things that I promised when I was humble and didn't have things changed. Um, 
no longer am I loyal to her, but I pretend I am. No longer am I, um, no longer do I listen to people's advice. I really thought that Robin Kuhn had it all figured out. Money, my job, the guys I hung with, which were pretty, pretty um, intense guys, hardworking, hard drinking, um, good family men, some of them, um, strong union men, and loyal to each other. And that appealed to me. Um, a little while after working with the union, I got sent to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, we didn't have work in the steel mills, and, and we traveled to different locals if we have to. And being Irish and being a union member and coming through the apprentice program, I met some some guys that had similar um, backgrounds like that. And they introduced me to some people over on the west side of Cleveland. Um, and that same sense of being within that fraternity, that gang of guys, there was that feeling when I walked in that bar and it's called Chris Campbell's it was on 150th street and rain Avenue in Cleveland. And from the moment I walked in, it was a sense of friendship. Um, there was definitely loyalty expressed among each other. And there was other things going on that, 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 that I didn't think was abnormal, like gambling tickets, you know, things that we just, in this world, we think it's normal. When somebody comes around with a football ticket and picks five teams, which is completely ridiculous, four teams, <laughs> it's a sucker's ticket. But um, I was given all these tickets and allowed to take care of them. And I didn't realize what was happening at the time, but I was being watched. Whether I bring the money back, you know, they give me a thousand tickets. They don't know how many I'm going to bring back. But... Uh, I, I became enmeshed in a lifestyle that um, my my job on my money, the, the money on my job prevented me from being humble. I had learned to be somewhat of a chameleon when I had to. And I was introduced to um, different types of drugs. Um, I had used marijuana in, in high school and I had used other drugs occasionally. Um, we had used amphetamines and stuff to play football, but uh, I, I didn't see how these chemicals were just filling this void. So I'm going to make a long story short as far as Cleveland, because um, there's a book written by Joe Griffin, and it pretty much describes what, what that life was for a while. But there was a man named Daniel Green. Um, he was, I guess, what you would call our leader. And he had a place called the Celtic Club. And I remember first meeting him and everyone was giving away turkeys at Thanksgiving to the neighborhood poor. And it really seemed, I, I, I can't explain it, that there was moments of goodness, but behind it was complete organized crime. From drugs, prostitution, things that I didn't see or wasn't involved in, but knew that it was all part of it within a while. And um, now here's where it gets a little crazy is I married a girl. I met a girl named Donna. I won't say her last name right now, but um, she's an Italian girl and I married her. 
and her family, um, and this is nothing against any type of ethnic group, but her uncle was um, the the what you'd call the godfather of the Italians in Cleveland, Ohio. And Danny Green, the man that I was with, was at war with the Italians. And when I say at war, I mean people were dying. Um, they were calling it Little Beirut, not Little Beirut, the, the capital bombing of the world, 1977, 78, 79. Um, these different groups were taking each other out. And it's all this is documented, but um, there were mornings when I'd get in my car and turn the key in my ignition. And uh, I would cringe wondering what was going to happen. So anyways, Danny Green got blown up in a very similar um, situation. It took a while for him to get to him. They, they blew his house up and he lived. Um, they, some of these things I laugh at, and, I, and it was my way of coping, but thinking of what was actually going on at that time, um, I didn't see the paranoia in, in the people I was hanging with, the mistrust behind what everybody was doing. Um, you think that guy's all right? You think he's solid, this and that. And there's all these slap on the back. But what it gave me, because I did what I was supposed to, I followed directions, and I loved the fact that I had a sense of family. And it was pretty outlandish. <laughs> One night, Michael walked into a bar. I walked in with him um, to Irish Whispers was the name of the bar. I didn't know what Mikey was going to do, Mikey Simpson. And he pulled a gun, shot his gun off into the ceiling, and told everybody to get out of the bar. And, like, probably 100 people ran out of the bar. And I'm looking at him like, well, what's going on here? And he says, I want to talk to the barmaid myself. And I remember thinking, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, and, and people would talk about it in the neighbor and stuff. And, uh, I, and there's, there's just so many incidences that seemed fun, was very dangerous and didn't see it, was completely wrong, was unmoral, but it felt good. It felt good. We weren't getting in any trouble. And um, even you're part of the, even you're part of the uh, state. We came out and I was working in Smoking Dam. And uh, we went up to uh, the Delaware Water Gap after the smoking dam job. And I met a couple girls down in Johnstown. And up in, up in um, um, what's the wrestling town? Up us, East Stroudsburg. We walk in, we walk into a, a buffet and um, just crazy stuff. I pretended I was from Anheuser-Busch and that we we're running a promotion. Probably about two, three hundred people in the bar, and they announced that we're from Anheuser Busch. We came in and ran a tab all night long, and uh, all these things seem fun, you know. And I'm going to say this is that night turned out to be a gun got shot off. Um, everybody was talking about what I did, and like the guys I was hanging with thought all this stuff was cool. And I, I liked it. I was I was no longer Robin Coon, the, the chubby kid from uh, uh, <laughs> from Gary Street. 
Um, I was in shape. I was a boilermaker. I had a nice car. And it just everything. The devil, the devil is the sneakiest, dirtiest, rottenest. Man, I almost swore <laughs> thinking <Yeah>. about him. <laughs> but the way he tempts you until it takes your soul. And then you don't think there's no way out. And I'm here to say this is people talk about um, the spiritual realm. I'm here to say that it's real. It's real. You may not see it, but it's real. The fight's real, and I can't win it. I can't win it. And that's something it took me 63 years of my life to understand what was really wrong. I'd been to psychiatrists. I'd been to 12-step groups. I'm doing all this stuff, reading self-improvement books, trying to be good, and constantly falling short. Falling short in some very, very deep ways. I remember um, saying goodbye to my high school sweetheart, who I married, signing divorce papers through the window to marry the girl in Cleveland because she got pregnant and it's the right thing to do and blah, blah, blah. And that girl ended up, we got a divorce 10 years later. You know, thank God in some ways uh, we're still friends. But here's what I want to share is um, sort of delicate. And, and this is the first time I've ever shared it outside of my family or certain church members is um, I was molested by a woman in my family at a very young age. And it distorted love and sex. God gave man and woman certain directions. And if not followed, your life's going to fall apart. It, and that's individually. God gave man and woman directions in that Bible for everything in life. Everything. I have yet to find anything I can't deal with in that book, maybe not a specific topic, but the way we can apply what Jesus gave us when he died on that cross to make it through the things that we can't make it through in life. And that is the biggest thing that cross rivers, um, the, the, the swagger ministries or anybody that now is centered on the cross has taught me. So this is what I'm going to say is this. Um, my life involved a lot of different type of crimes. Um, in 1993, I was arrested for drug possession, sales, and three bank robberies. Um, all part of this little group that we were with. And in 1993, I was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And I, I remember the judge telling me the months and, and I remember Joe Griffin, the FBI agent that, 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 that had arrested us. Um, he said something to the judge. He said, your honor, he says, don't get the idea that I like these guys, but they're different. I'm not asking for any type of, any type of leniency. In fact, throw the book at him, but I do wish him good luck. And, and I, I, I can't explain it, but the, he walked up to me and he said something that day 
which sort of shocked me. He says, I hope God blesses your life and walked away from me. That was the FBI agent. Wow. Anyways, yeah, yeah, it just, there's certainly oil or something else. In the midst of this chaos, I came back to Buffalo one day and my grandfather, the Protestant gentleman, the Assembly of Gods, um, he had passed and grandma was alone. And I always would stop at her house. And a little short, her name, her, her maiden name was Mallory. And uh, she was about 4'10". And we, I shot to the house. I'm knocking on the door. And I said, Grandma, what are you doing? And she says, I'm talking with Jesus. And I remember looking at her and saying, really? And she says, yeah. And I said, Graham, does he talk back? And I remember her looking up at me with those little blue eyes. And I'll never forget this. And it's part of the reason I believe today. And she said, Robin, what do you think a conversation is? And she said it with such meaning. <laughs> I thought she was going to tell me like this inner voice and all this other stuff. She looked at me and said, what do you think a conversation is, Robin? <laughs> and, and, and forever, I remember, I didn't realize the impact it would have on me. But what I'm going to say is this. I never see my grandma and grandpa Coon argue, ever. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have disagreements. But at my other house, grandma and grandpa's, when a fight happened, we're talking stuff getting smashed. People are saying things they don't mean. They got to apologize. I say, my my grandpa used to give my grandma a little pat at the butt and say, now, Anna. And she would look up at him and say, now, Devere. And that was their argument. And they would talk about it and figure it out and discuss it. And there was never, there's never no argument. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And I, I had these examples that God put in my life. But as long as we can please ourselves, that seemed like too much work. You know what I mean? Like, why, why do all that when I can just live my life the way I want? Right. And um, that's the way I did but anyways, 1993, Judge Oliver, federal court, sentenced me to 20 years in prison. Um, part of my deal was Ohio wouldn't charge me with the same crimes as long as I didn't appeal my case. I appealed my case um, three years later because my lawyer found a loophole and told me it would be beneficial. As soon as I did that, Ohio sentenced me in absentia to the same crime. But at the state level, but because I pled guilty in the feds, I can only need a trial. And they sentenced me to 15 to life after I got done with the feds. Well, when I tell you the next part of this story, and you know some of it, but I'm sitting in my garage right now. And I, my house is 20 feet away from me. I got a beautiful wife. I have a stepson who's staying with us right now. He's sort of convalescing from an accident and I have a family I have a family that loves me and cares about me and I had done a lot of damage to them when I first came into this family but anyways I'm now sentenced to 20 years in prison when I first start and my whole mission is to escape and I get sentenced to Big Sandy um, if anybody is to look it up it was the most dangerous prison for seven years um, in the federal penitentiary. Um, 
So I'm, 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 I, I, I'm sort of, I hook up with the Irish guys. Um, I'm starting to learn. Well, I'm learning to pretend that I'm not scared. And sometimes that pretending can lead to a lot of different things that, that I'm going to say this. I've never been in such an evil place in my life. I've never seen so much death. I've never seen so many lies. I've never seen so much deception. I never seen so much manipulating staff. Nothing have I ever seen at that level together. You're talking the Aryan Brotherhood. You're talking, you're talking every, every different type of Muslim group, radical Muslim groups. You're talking. I just never seen such evil from KKK. They'd be out there on Sundays doing their high Hitlers. Um, the God bodies, they'd be waiting for for, for, the, for their God to come back and enslave the black man and the white man. It was just absolutely insane. It was a microcosm of the evil in a city behind a wall. Um, wow. I've seen my first death within the first week of being there. And I've probably seen a death. I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I'm going to say at least once a month. And these weren't normal. These were not normal. Somebody just died. They, they were vicious attacks by vicious men that I believe. I looked in the black of people's eyes and seen nothing with some of these guys. Um, some, some serious mob guys, um, were at big Sandy. Um, my friend, my friend got 150 years for robbing banks and I didn't see him when he first got sentenced. And this is how crazy it is. Um, when he comes to the jail about three, four months behind me, I asked him, how'd you do? And he says, not bad, Robert. He says, I got 150 years and I'm looking at him like, what? Oh man. And she Hey, so I got 150 years. He said, if I take the drug program, I get a year and a half off. <laughs> and, and he started laughing. Wow. And this man shot his own uncle in the back of the head as they were walking after robbing a bank because he's worried his uncle would testify on him. These are the type of people I was with. Wow. And, and, and you know, I, I think prisons are there for a reason, but I, I see no value, no value in a prison the way they're run today. I just don't, you know, I'm not saying we don't need them and I didn't, and I deserved it. But anyways, I'm looking for a way to escape and I'm going to my Catholic services every week and I'm now, now I'm talking to God and I got my rosary beads and, you know, I'm up and down and doing what I'm supposed to do and I, I need to get my Eucharist. And so I'm not, I'm trying not to sin and all this, all this stuff was law. And it was taught to me when I was a kid though, too, from football, you know, the way to conduct yourself, what to do rules and regulations is what kept the world rolling. Well, rules and regulations and a life against sin is, I'm going to say, absolutely useless. So anyways, um, as I'm looking down this alleyway, this young man, I hear a voice and saying there's no way. 
And I said, what do you mean there's no way? I, at least I was shocked that there was someone behind me and I didn't hear him come up on me. He says, no, there's no way. And I said, listen, there's a way in, there's a way out. He got us in here, there's a way out. And he looked at me and said, Jesus is the only way out. And God, please forgive me. But my next response to him was anything but kind to, to the honor we should give the name of Jesus. Not understanding the grace that that, that, that man, that Lord, that God bestowed upon us when he allowed himself to be put on that cross for a wretch like me. So I, I sort of laughed at this young man. Um, <laughs> and just, I've already been sentenced in absentia by Ohio. So when I'm done with my 16 in the feds, I got to go to Attica for five. And then I got to be returned to Ohio for 15 to life. So basically I'm dead in prison. But this Jason, Jason Winham was his name. <laughs> he had a Bible study in his cell. And I used to go there pretty much, one, I was curious. Two, he was a good guy. He'd play handball with me. And uh, he was a Southern boy, which sort of intrigued me. And um, he didn't join up with any of the gangs. His little Christian buddies would be outside with their little hands held together, saying prayers in the midst of, uh, in the midst of uh, a riot even. Um, they would pray for the guys in prison. He, he was just a different. Now, I'm not saying these guys allowed anything to happen to them. These guys hung together because they would also watch out for each other in a different way than we did. You know, um, none of them were involved in drugs, but they protected each other. Anyway, Jason one day asked me, he says, hey, he says, Catholics are sort of like Muslims, right? I said, what are you talking about? We wrote the Bible. <laughs> So, you know, I knew all the history, 300, you know, Constantinople, he wants to put everything together. Um, Peter, Peter was the first pope, all, all this stuff that we were taught. And I said, we wrote the Bible. What do you mean, Muslims? I said, you go to my service, I'll go to one of yours. And you tell me. And he did that. And uh, I went to one of his, and it, it was just different. There was singing. There was sort of a joy versus an obligation of going to mass. Anyways, um, I used to go sit in Jason's Bible study, and we got into this argument one day. I said, so your Bible basically tells me that I could live sinless. And Jason would hem and haul around it, but he said, yeah, if we utilize the Holy Spirit in the way we should. But he said, am I sinless, Robin? No. Do I sin? Yes. But I got the Holy Spirit. And I used to ask him about this Holy Spirit stuff, right? Because we're talking about something that when you're kids, there's something about our church today, our churches, that teaches kids the fairy tale side of it, if, if you know what I mean, versus the Jesus side of it. Um, we're afraid to tell our kids what Jesus did. We, we do the little, you know, turn the other cheek. You know, he rode in on a donkey. Um, all, and the miracle virgin birth. And we do these things. 
within the churches that I attended, but there was no substance about a relationship with Jesus Christ. To me, he was a man that achieved, became the Christ. Sort of the way I looked at it. He lived away and he became the Christ. And it confounded me that this one man could do that. And we all know about the crucifixion and stuff, but I never ever contemplated what really happened on that cross. What Jesus Christ suffered on that cross. But anyways, make a long story short, I'll go back to, I'm now um, a friend of mine from the old days contacted me. He, he became a youth pastor at the church where my wife was going. And he says, I've contacted Kim and she'd like to contact you. I always told Kim, don't ever contact me in prison. I'll never write back. I'll never bring anybody into prison with me. And uh, so Mike asked if it was okay if Kim wrote me. And I said, yes. I don't know why, but I'd met her at an AA dance. And uh, I had an apartment and she showed up one day with oil. This, this is hilarious. I'm sitting on my couch and she comes whipping in. She, she's a, a, a um, neurologist technician. She does sleep studies and does all the testing on children that are epileptic. So she was up. She was working second shift at the time. She just started. And she comes into my house with this oil. And she's going to the windows and she's going to the doors. And I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm anointing your windows. And I said, why are you doing that? And she says, to keep demons out. I said, demons, there's demons out there. <laughs> and Kimmy was so different than any woman that I had ever been with. Like, there, as sensual and sexy and pretty as she was, she didn't use that. That's not what made her that. It was later on, it was that she was a daughter of Christ. And uh, man, I just can't explain it. I, I invited her to see a Joe Messi fight. Um, I got tickets front row, and I, I I was out on appeal bond. I had done ten years, and Paul Cambry got me out on appeal bond. And so I'm going to AA. I'm trying to be a good guy, hoping that my appeal goes through and stuff. And I invited her to uh, the, the 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 fights, and I had bought in a little. Toyota, no, no, a little Ford Escort SS. And because I wasn't that guy that drove little cars like that, the night I was going to pick her up, I didn't. I was embarrassed by my little car. Like, things is what made Robin feel that he was important. Big cars, motorcycles, friends that acknowledge, hey, that's a nice bike. Or, or the union hall running for office. You know, I was always looking for some sort of approval. And today I know why. Because I was missing the love that Jesus Christ provides us. Not only provides us love, but he gives us a part of him, the Holy Spirit, to help me live a life so I can communicate and have a relationship with the three entities of God. Now, Jesus is in heaven. He's not down here with me right now. God's in heaven. But they gave us the Holy Spirit. Amen. They gave us the Holy Spirit to help us 
manipulate and walk through this life to when I put my head on my pillow tonight, I can pretty much say I had a good day. I didn't hurt anybody. And I feel part of something that never, ever, ever did the other things make me feel part of. I have a family today with Cross Rivers. I have a family with you. I have a family with our brothers that are with you down there. And actually, our, our, our inner personal relationship time together is small. Right. But I can honestly say to the world that I know you're my brother. Amen. In a way, in a way that the guys that I took an oath with never could be. Never could be. You know, part of my case, they testified against me. The guys that said they were my brothers. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, is Jason tells me Jesus. And I said something very, very derogatory about this Jesus. If, if this Jesus gets me out, blah, 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 believe. Long story short is I finished my 15 years with the feds. I met Kim while I was out on appeal bail for 10 months. And Paulie Cambria called me up and he said, Rob, and he says, you lost your appeal. And I got to go back for another. I'm going back for another 10 plus the Ohio case. Wow. And yeah, like I'm shocked. I'm going to AA. I, I hadn't committed many crimes while I was out. <laughs> um, I hadn't done too much drugs. I hadn't slept with too many women. I hadn't drank too much. I thought I was all right. And Paulie called up and he says, you got to turn yourself in. And I, I can't tell you what that did to me at the time, but I, I, I decided that I was going to run to Belize. <laughs> and, uh, and I left Buffalo. I robbed a bank in Westfield, New York. Oh, man. Yeah, on the way out, you know, just something to do. Um, so I had some money. And I stopped to my brother to get some money, and he wasn't there. So, I mean, I did the next best thing. And, and I sit there and think about it, like how, like just that thought, man, I need money. Where am I going to get money to run a bank, rob it? Like who thinks that way? But that's how my mind it went from maybe picking a dollar bill up that I watched you drop and I didn't give it back to you. And then the next time maybe an ATM cards in or, you know, whatever it progresses to where Stuff that is totally abnormal is acceptable in your life. So, <laughs> so in the midst of me being out on appeal bail, I rob another bank and uh, added more time. Um, they sort of brushed it under because just because they didn't want to know I was out on appeal and all that. But anyways, I got more time. I, I couldn't get out of the feds. When I was supposed to, I had to do more time. Anyways, long story short is I go back to prison. I go back to prison and I'm now starting my bid. And this is when I met Jason as I went back and he said, Jesus. So I had met Kimberly while I was out. And just as a friend, she used to talk to me about Jesus and read the Bible to me over the phone and talk to me about forgiveness and and I'm sitting there thinking, if you knew some of the things I did, you wouldn't be talking about forgiveness. And that book says, thou shall not, you know. And uh, she, she looked at me one day and she's Robin, 
She says, when I was first married, I aborted my child. She says, so no matter what you did, she said, I murdered my child. And I remember looking at her thinking, wow. I remember what my mother went through when she lost her son. Mm. And that this woman who was living a secular life at the time, now today realizes that that child was alive at conception. God put a spirit into it, a soul into it, and that child was alive. And But I sort of brush it off because abortion to me was just something maybe you had to do. You know, it, it, the way the world is today, the way sex has become, the way the pill opened things up, you know, all these things that seem to be family oriented actually was anything in the earth, I believe, has a taint to the devil. I just do. I, I watch everything today, you know. So anyways, long story short is I go back to prison and um, I get involved in, a, in, in, in the drug business in prison and somebody owed me $5,000. I told him they had my money that night. Well, he belonged to another organization, and what happened was a, a full-blown riot happened. Um, I got my ear cut off. I got stabbed in the lung. Um, I got stabbed in the kidney. This is all right off the bat. And I was sort of dummy, one of the first ones out there because it was about my stuff. And Jason, that little Christian brother, who I told, don't go to the yard tonight. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with us Irish guys. It ain't got nothing to do with you. I don't know why he went to the yard that night, but I've got my ear hanging on the side of my head. I'm stabbed in the lung. I can't breathe, and I got to stay up. I got to stay standing. People are fighting all around me, and I took another stabbing in the kidney, and um, I don't know where Jason came from, and I know he lives with this the rest of his life but he saved my life that night. He saved my life by doing something that, that I forever asked God to forgive him. It was all he tried to do was save me. So, anyways, they life flight me out. They life flight me out to a, no, they take me to a hospital. <laughs> I remember the doctors telling the, the guards that um, we can't do anything for him. You got to take them to a trauma unit. Next thing you know, a helicopter's flying me to Georgia University, and I'm in some trauma unit, and um, somehow I survived. Survived, and uh, I was taken back to the prison, and the lieutenant said, Robin, I'll, I'll let you go anywhere in the country. You pick it, but please don't go back out on that yard. And I said, you wouldn't send me anywhere in the country when I asked for a transfer. Now you want to send me. I said, I got to go back out in that yard. I got to. No one can say that I walked out of this prison the way I did. And I chose to go back out on the big sandy. Well, a young man who was uh, half black and half white. I didn't know it at the time. I seen him as a black man. Was walking the yard by himself. And so I want to know why he ain't with his people. <laughs> Some of the ways I thought and talked back then, like we were different. 
You know, everybody was different. The Orientals were Orient. You know, we we it's just crazy. So I went out there and I said, "Hi, I'm Robin Coon." I said, uh, um, "I'm a shot caller for the Irish boys." I says, uh, "How come you ain't with your people?" And he looked at me and he said, "My people, my people." He says, "Cause I'm too something white for them, and I'm too something black for you." And I remember looking at him, thinking, "Whoa." Boy, that's pretty. Never thought about it that way. And I said, well, what's the white part? And he says, Irish. I said, you can prove that. He said, yeah. I said, you didn't rat on anybody, did you? You got paperwork? And he said, I got paperwork. I said, you ain't a sex offender, are you? No. I said, bring your paperwork out tomorrow night. And um, that man's name was Gary Scott. And today he's an ordained minister. <laughs> And he baptized me, not in prison. Now, I'm going to share a real quick story. It'll be my last story from prison, and we'll get into what happened at Cross Rivers. Is Gary became part of my security team. And Gary was a very, 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 very loyal, loving, dangerous human being. For some reason, he watched out for me all the time. But I heard two white men call Gary the N-word. And I'm going to say this. One of them's dead within about three minutes. I watched Gary kill that man for using that word. And um, hmm, some of the things we've seen. Wow. Anyways, um, me and Gary get sent to another prison after that. And we just became close and we started talking about things that, that like, I asked him, I said, what, what do you do? He said, Rob, I'm an iron worker. I said, really? He said, but I always wanted to be a minister. I said, what? A minister? And we started talking about God. And when we were big Sandy, it was me, him, and Jason. We're always talking separate from me hanging out with the crew. You know, we'd be out playing handball or basketball or something. And the conversation would be about God. So anyways, me and Gary got real, real close. I mean close. And he left prison and I left prison. And his story is real quick. He went back to the drug business. He was the head of the vice lords in, uh, in, down in Maryland. And he somehow OD'd getting onto the subway. All the money he wanted in the world, the cars, he had people bringing money to him. And, but he had his children, and he, he was married to a young lady. And he looked up, and he said, Lord, don't let my children see me die like this. And that was Gary's conversion out in the street. And I'm not saying baptism and stuff, but that day when Gary lived, he made a promise to God, don't let my children see me die like this, and I'm yours. And I don't know how God used those words, but... <laughs> Gary, Gary used to call me every Sunday. And uh, one day he started telling about how much Jesus loved him. And he started crying like it was real. He was crying because this Jesus loved him. And, and that's probably about a year before the next thing that happened. And he still called me every Sunday and asked me how I was doing 
talk to me about Jesus. And, you know, I was all right with that. It didn't bother me. I'm still up in Buffalo. Your Jesus ain't going to bother me too much. And I was attending church. Well, I got to say this. That young lady, Kimberly, <laughs> Kimberly Fisher, while I was in prison, took my case to the Supreme Court about the Ohio case. Now, I'm transferred to, me and Gary are separated now. Um, he went his way in prison and I got sent to Attica. I still got to do 15 to life in Ohio. And Kimberly took on, and I don't know why she did it or how she did it. She said, God told her that I was going to be her husband. <laughs> I laughed at her. Man, I'm doing life on life. What are you talking about? <laughs> and she took my case to the Supreme Court and it was decided that my case in Ohio was dismissed with prejudice. It was against constitutional law, wow. what they did. And the only, I opened that letter to Attica and I remember my hand shaking and I heard Jason say, the only way out is Jesus. And I got this Jesus lady in my life and she had rules. <laughs> There'd be no, it, it, well, she's talking in general as she's coming up and visiting me that her next husband, there'll be no sex before marriage, that they won't be using drugs, that they won't be smoking. I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, this ain't good. <laughs> this ain't good. <laughs> I do all those things and I want that. Right. <laughs> and uh, so, but I'm shaking my head, yes, because man, this lady's coming up and talking to me. Well, I went to the law library and there was the letter and I didn't know what it was said United States Supreme Court. And when I opened it up, it said the Ohio case was dismissed with prejudice. Robin Coon is going to go home. I'm going to go home. And I, I heard Jason. I, I remember Jason standing there telling me, Jesus is the only way out. You know, so I remember some sort of half commitment. Now, I'm still Catholic at the time. I'm going to Catholic services. I'm 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 reading books about marriage. Catholic, it's a sacrament, and this is what a man. All these rules. I mean, there's like rules on rules on rules for marriage when you're a Catholic. It's a sacrament of the church, and I'm committed to everyone. They sound great. So I went out on a visit one day as I'm reading this book about what a husband's supposed to be, and it appealed to me. And and, it, and then I'm talking in a good way, because that really is, even though the Catholics see it different, they're, the way they express it is what we're supposed to have in a marriage. You know, loyalty, love, um, transparency, um, the hierarchy of the family and stuff. And I'm reading this book, and I said, man, I can do this. I and These are all laws, rules, right? I, I can, I've done it before. I lived by the rules of the world. I live by the rules of Danny. I live by the rules of prison. I can do the marriage thing, right? And, and it sounded a lot better than the way I used to live, but it was still rules and law. Anyways, I went out on the visiting room floor about, I don't know, about a year later. And I says, I, I went to go to propose. And when I said the most stupidest thing, I said, we have to get married. And she just looked at me and said, what? And I remember what I, I said, oh, I said, Kimberly, I, I love you. And I'm not going to be able to come home 
and be celibate. I'm still thinking like a like a law guy. And and, and I'm lying to you. I'm lying to you. I, I, we need to get married. <laughs> she looked at me and she said yes. And we were married in Attica. We've been married 13 years. And I put that woman through a lot when I came out. And we're going to jump to the next stage. I got out of prison and I did 20 something years. I did three years on violations. Um, I refused to take Suboxone, got sent back to prison. Um, I had a dirty ear and got sent back to prison. Um, I came out here. And everything was given to me that that could be considered good as far as I had a wife. I had a job with the Boilermakers still. Um, Kimberly provided me with a home. You know, and even while I was in prison, I paid the bills here. The moment we got married, I began to contribute to this household. I mean, I read the book. <laughs> rules, rules, rules. And uh, I came out and intimacy and love and truthfulness and honesty and all the things that God wants us to be with other people, I couldn't be. And I wanted to be. I would try so hard. I was going to AA, two AA meetings a day. I was running the counselors. I went to relationship counselors i was doing all this secular stuff because my heart wanted to and everything worked for a little bit aa worked for a year i got my one year sobriety and you know what i did went and celebrated and went on a whole nother different run with another drug but anyways the whole time me and kimmy are going to church her church and I'm not going to put down her church in any way because it was a stepping stone across rivers. <laughs> is I would go into church and I'd look at that cross and my leg would start to shake. And I'm looking at people. Some of them at her church were speaking in tongues. Definitely evidence of the Holy Spirit in that church. But there was no talk about the cross. There was no directions for me how to deal with my sinful, evil brain. And, and and I I'd wanted to I want my I want to do the right thing, and I began to be attacked in ways that I can't even explain. Uh, um, I definitely there was a demonic attack on my life, um, from for quite a while, and uh, I went and talked to the pastor, and the pastor took me in the back in the hierarchies of church. They all prayed over me, and. And, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is great, man. It feels good. They're getting rid of the demons. And the pastor, and God bless that pastor. But the information she then gave me was, Robin, watch out because it's going to get worse. Mm. And, and she said, put on the armor of God. Well, I'm not stupid. I've read the Bible a little bit. There's a shield. There's there's there's, a, there's all this stuff. But nobody said how to use it. But being an Irish, prideful, refused to ask for help guy, I looked at it and says, all right. 
I said, I'll be ready. <laughs> and that's the information I left with, out of that church that day and how to deal with what was about to happen. And just like she said, the demonic attack increased. The cravings all the time. Um, temptation in many, many forms from gambling to women to, to just going and having a drink. You know, today, today I'm going to say this, I'm sober over a year and a half without drink or drug of any kind. Um, and it's all due to the grace of God, his mercy and him providing us with the Holy Spirit. But I had a belief. I had to have the faith that when he said it was finished, it was finished. And that was the biggest thing in my life I couldn't get. So anyways, Gary calls me one day. He's down in he's down in um Maryland. Kimmy and me are about to get divorced. Gary asked me how I'm doing. And every time, because I was a leader in prison, he'd call me and ask me how I was doing. I'd say, okay. Now he's a pastor. I don't want to tell him I'm not doing okay. You know, and he's talking about his church and this and that. And I started crying. I didn't say I was okay. And he heard me crying. He said, what's wrong? I said, Gary, my life's falling apart. My life is falling apart. And he told me to come down. And it was mine and Kim's anniversary as, as far as a, a date. And I mean, we're on our way to divorce. And so I went to Baton Rouge. Um, I'm, I'm on parole. I'm not supposed to leave the state, but you know me. And, and my buddy said, come, I'm going. And and I needed help, so I didn't care. And off to Baton Rouge, I, went, I mean, off to um, Baltimore, Maryland, I went. And Gary shared something with me that I'd never heard in my life. He asked me what, if I got baptized. I said, yeah, I joined the church. He said, what? <laughs> he explained baptism to me. And then he talked about something else, a second baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And I said, oh boy, you're hooked up with that church that my grandma was. <laughs> and, but his whole life had changed. Now, remember what I told you he did in prison when somebody used the N-word against him. We were on our way into Walmart. And uh, here comes this big old pickup truck with the, with the, with the, with the southern flag on it. And nothing against the southern flag, but, you know, just a representation of something. And here comes the two boys. And they got out of that truck, and they looked over at Gary, and I don't know why they said it. And I was a little bit behind Gary, and at the time, I'm carrying a gun. Um, I'm down in Baltimore. I'm Gary invited me down there, but that don't mean I ain't going anywhere without my gun. And these two men called them the N-word. And at that moment, I thought, oh, boy, here it goes. Here it goes. Here it goes. And I'm actually reaching behind my back. And Gary looked over at them and said, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Wow. I was shocked. I was shocked, brother. Kurt, I was shocked. Evidence of change. Oh, um, the fruit. Listen, I seen Gary when that word was used before. And what I seen at that Walmart parking lot that day was a completely different man. 
the fruit that he gave was love, not Amen. death. Amen. So I seen something that day, and Gary kept talking to me for the next couple of days about six, seven, and eight. Now, here comes a real miracle in a way. Kimberly calls me out of the blue and says, Robin, would you like to talk? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to. You know, I, things were starting to happen in my heart. I didn't want a divorce. I didn't want to say I was sorry for all the things I did. I didn't want to do them. You know, the shame that I felt compounded from the molestation, living life exactly the way I wanted to, which meant hurting a lot of people, not intentionally, but it happened. And living a, a, a life of pleasure. So I, I said, yes. And she's Robin, I'm up in the Thousand Islands. She says, why don't you come up and we'll talk? I said, I'm on my way. <laughs> 12 hours away, right? It might, might have been 13, I forget, 14. And I took off. Well, I was crossing. And here, here's the devil. I'm crossing. Oh, I told her, I said, listen, I might have to fall asleep somewhere along the way. I hope that's okay. She said, just call me so I know you're all right. Well, I'm crossing out of Maryland into Philadelphia, the Memorial Bridge there. And there's a sign that says casino. The rooms and everything. Well, I got a VIP card that can be used at most casinos. And I said, here's the devil. Robin, why don't you go get a room? Well, I never slept in a casino in my life. I mean, maybe I did, but it wasn't to sleep. You know, it was like to get a little rest before we went back down. And, and I knew at that moment, what I was really saying is, I'm going to go to the casino, have a couple of drinks, take away these feelings that I'm having, play a little cards, maybe get a little, I mean, it just bam, bam, bam. The dominoes would have fell. Mm -hmm. I would have never made it to, I would have never made it to Thousand Islands. And it was that moment, I remember Gary talking to me about prayer and about the Holy Spirit and that I, 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 in, in, in chapter seven, how Paul couldn't do it. Right. And, and the confusion he felt in chapter six and the relief in chapter eight, the answer, the answer. And so I pulled over and I said, Lord, please, please help me. <laughs> well, I'm going to say this, watch your prayers sometimes. <laughs> Cause I'm still planning on, just going to the casino and getting some sleep. I decided, okay, I'll go to the casino, but thank you, God, for giving me the strength. I'm not going to go down to the tables. I'm not going to get a free drink. Well, when I went over to the crown of the Memorial Bridge, I'm traveling about 55 miles an hour, and I have a picture of the car. I'll show you when we see each other again. A Dodge Stratus. I hit the back end of a semi at 55 miles an hour. Semi was stopped. Oh, man. Dead. I was knocked out. I remember saying this. I remember knowing that there's no way I'm not going to hit it. And I said, oh, God. And I said, Kimberly, I love you. And that's the last thing I remember. I hit that so hard. When I woke up, there was steam coming up in my face and my leg was pinned. But nothing really hurt. Just a little banged up, and I looked over, and the engine is in the front seat of my car on the other side. I mean, just twisted sideways. I got a picture. My next call was to, I'm screaming for help because I can't get out. 
nobody in this world would stop and help me. They were so interested in getting over that bridge because they were stuck for, I don't know, an hour or whatever till we got the cars aside or they figured a way around. No one would stop. I'm begging, please help me, please help me. Nobody would stop. And this lady did, the Good Samaritan. And I seen the little fish on her bumper. (laughs) I seen the fish on her bumper. And this lady stopped on that bridge and said, son, I won't leave you. I won't leave you. What do you need? I got my leg free and I got out of the car. I can't find my phone. I said, please call my wife. Please call my wife. And she did. And now remember, I told you I left the state. I'm on parole still with the feds. And um, when the police come, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to jail. It's their responsibility. I don't care what police officer shows up when I give them my name and they see I'm out of state without papers. They got to take me in. They got to. It's their job. Well, this cop's got me in the back. <laughs> and um, he ta- he puts me in the back of the car. They're leaving my car up on the crest of the bridge there. And they take me to the bottom of the bridge. And at the bottom of the bridge is a bunch of people that were in a circle praying. That they seen me up there. And, and I still don't remember their full connection, but... I'm sitting there looking, and and this lady come up to the window, and she's, oh, my God, you're alive. You're alive. And, and yeah, and she said, we seen you hit. You know, all the little things. And I'm thinking, I got to get out of this car, and I got to start running. This officer is going to put cuffs on me any minute. So the officer came. I said, sir, can I have a cigarette? And he said, yes. And he came over to the back door and he looked at me and he says, son, don't do it. Everything's going to be okay. And I think he's telling me, you know, don't worry, go to prison, do your time, come back out, blah, blah, blah. But he said, don't run. And I got out of that car and those people came over and started hugging me and started praying for me. And this officer is looking at him, praying for me. Now, I don't know who he was, his denomination or anything, but he was a 20-something-year vet. His job is to take me in, turn me over to New York. In the meantime, Kim calls Gary. Gary's on his way to the state troopers' barracks. It was Pennsylvania state troopers. Um, Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah, I crossed over into Philly. That side of the bridge was Philly. Pennsylvania State Troopers just outside of Philly. They got me. He, the man don't take me into the barracks. He goes inside, and as we pull up, there's Gary. I don't know how he got there so fast, but he did. And, I mean, it's not that far from Baltimore to Philly, but and I don't realize how long I was knocked out or any of that other stuff. But there's Gary. And I looked at Gary, and I said, Gary, you know they're going to take me in. And he said, yeah, I know, Rob. I said, tell Kimmy I love her and, you know, do whatever you want to do. He said, don't worry, brother. He says, just put your faith that God knows what he's doing. Even it is going back. So about three, four minutes go by, and here comes this big state trooper from Pennsylvania. 
He's walking out and he says, Well, I got some good news. I looked at Gary. We know what the bad news is. And he's got a ticket in his hand. He said, The bad news is I got to give you a violation. And he looked at me and says, Son, if you take care of this violation in the next 30 days, you were never here. He says, Go see your wife and make things right. Wow. I was like shocked. I was shocked. That officer, that officer just violated everything that he took an oath and gave this dummy a chance to go see his wife. But God. And Gary was just like, we were in awe. We were in awe. This is a 20 something year vet. And he just let a parolee go to God and then shut down the Memorial Bridge for four hours. <laughs> Wow. And, and was out of state. So I went and seen Kim and we talked about caring about each other and stuff like this and, you know, making the divorce the best we could and blah, 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 blah. And came home and got an apartment. You know, seeing Kim, she'd invite me over for dinner and stuff. And I'm trying to be this honorable guy to go through a divorce. And uh, I, her son did two tours in Afghanistan. And uh, he came home and me and him got real close. And he took his life. Mm. And it threw our life into turmoil. Um, I felt like I let the family down by not helping them as much as I could. Again, I was taking them to AA. I was taking them 12-step programs. I was taking them to uh, sober dances. All these man-made things, which I'm going to say they're not bad in nature. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong bad about AA. Making AA your idol, making a 12-step program the way out of sin ain't going to work. Right. And that's what I did all my life. I tried to deal with separate sins with different programs. Alcoholics Anonymous. Deal with alcohol. Narcotics Anonymous because I was doing cocaine. Gamblers Anonymous because I might have picked up a card. I was, you know, like everything was separate. I didn't see it as sin. It was one. I, I didn't identify the problem. Problem wasn't gambling. Problem wasn't drinking. That, 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 that's a symptom of the problem. I suffer from sin. The sin I'm nature. basically an evil person if I live the way the world tells me to live. Some people get a little bit worse. Some people don't get so bad. But they're still lost, selfish people. In some way, they're going to get their own way. Well... And sometimes I'm in awe at the way things happen. But Craig took his life. Um, I began to drink and drug again. And everything that comes with drinking and drugging when you're under the influence that you say you won't do, you do again. Because it made me feel good. I didn't know how to deal with a wife that was crying over a son that died. I didn't have those skills. I spent 25 years in prison having no feelings, being able to stab somebody the moment I had to, being able to make decisions that men would either 
remain or wouldn't remain. There, there was no feelings to it. It was, this is the way it is. You know, we, we had a saying, man, there's no second chances where we come from. I don't care if it's $5 or $5,000. And you say you're going to pay Friday, you're going to pay. You know, and, and, and prison is a, hmm. there's good in prison. And I just, I, I, I didn't participate in the good, put it that way. So I come out and I do not know how to function in interpersonal relationships. I'd be at an AA picnic and, 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 and I'm, I got my back up against the tent and this guy comes up to me and he says, PTSD, huh? I was like, what's PTSD? <laughs> Later on, as I looked it up, he thought I was a vet because he was doing the same thing, watching the vans come. You know what I mean? They're having the big picnic. You can have the speaker, hamburgers, hot dogs. I'm scared to death. And people are laughing. I'm like, hmm, I just want to get a hamburger and go stand over here by myself again. But I met some good people in that program, Christians, that still come to the program to carry the message that AA carries says the purpose in this book is to find God. Now it doesn't say what God or anything secular, but the purpose of the book is to find God. And I think God used everything in my life to take me one to Gary and then the cross rivers. So anyways, I walked into cross rivers Mama Sturmer tells me to get back there, get my butt back there. And uh, Donnie Swaggart spoke. And this man starts speaking in tongues. <laughs> His name is Danny Pankew. Just out loud, scared the living <laughs> out of me. And, and then he interpreted. And everybody was like listening to him. And I'm like, hmm. Like, I'm intrigued by stuff like that. Yeah, I believed in God my whole life. I believed in the stories that they told. So you're talking about a supernatural, you know, <laughs> I was debating with a guy in prison, a God body, about their God. I said, how could you believe in something like that? He says, well, you believe they hung your God on a cross and he came back three days later. Tell me that ain't crazy. I started thinking about it. <laughs> you know, now today I can say you're you know, you're right, man. My God did come back. You know, yours still hasn't come back in the ship yet. <laughs> but <laughs> and I'm not putting down any religion. <laughs> well, I sort of am. I'm sorry. What I'm saying is this: is Jason said the only way out is Jesus. This woman that I'm married to today was a daughter of God. And somehow, somehow, until she finally couldn't take it no more, she continued to show me love, yeah. even as we're going through the divorce or starting a divorce. And when her son died, I, I, I went completely off the deep end. Um, <clears throat> and I ended up at Cross Rivers. And this man, Mike, <laughs> Pastor Mike Chory. <laughs> What a, he would get up there and he talked about forgiveness and he talked about being a football player and you could see the emotion in him and he'd do this little Holy Ghost dance and, and the people in the church, they took, when they asked me how I was doing, they stayed there. They didn't keep walking. 
They wanted an answer. And they'd ask me questions like, how long you been saved? <laughs> like, like, and then this one guy, Don, um, he's since left the church, but he used to take me to the park and read the Bible and start explaining about this Romans 6, 7, and 8 that Gary had shared a year earlier. Hmm. But I just couldn't, you know, Gary was in Baltimore, and I'm not going to ask any more questions. I just need the Holy Spirit, and so I try. <laughs> and these men started mentoring me and sharing something that was different than what the other people did. Instead of sharing history and a verse they remembered or how they apply this section of the Bible to their life, they shared what Jesus did on that cross. They didn't care how much I went to church. They didn't care how many Bible studies I went to. They didn't care how often I read my Bible at home. I mean, they did. All those things are very good. But that wasn't what they were centered on. They were centered about the mercy and grace that our God gave us when he sent Jesus to this earth to be whipped, beaten, nailed to, pierced on the cross. And when you read that Bible, unrecognizable. I've seen the passion of Christ. I can't even watch that sometimes. But we can't even comprehend what that lamb did for us. Willingly. Hallelujah. So you're going to get sort of a laugh about this. But this is all making me question about this Jesus guy, right? So I sort of used a criminal analogy. I said, you know, I had couple co-defendants not all of them were able to stay quiet one of them talked so i said you got 11 disciples 11 disciples that went on it all except one john went on to be martyred and suffered in ways that we can't even imagine also one going to the lions and peter hanging upside down on the cross right i mean these people suffered for their belief in God. So I'm sitting there thinking, if you got 12 of 12 co-defendants of mine, and you tell me you're going to hang me upside down on a cross and nail me, or you're going to feed me to the lions, or you're going to behead me, one of us is talking. Hang on. It's a joke. We had his body two tombs down, and we're trying to create this thing called whatever. Not one of them right. ever denied what they seen. That they walked with them. They didn't understand it at the time, as we all know, just from their different beliefs, even in the Bible. You know, different ideas until Paul comes along. But none of them said, listen, you tell me you're cutting my head off. I'm going to say, I'm sorry. Kurt talked me into this little scam. <laughs> right. I'll go do prison time. I don't think I want my head cut off. Yep. You know? <laughs> none of them talked. And it made me think that that's not natural. That's not natural. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. When the FBI got me and they said, you can walk out of here as fast as you walked in. And I said, how? And they told me how. You don't think I didn't think about it? I won't tell nobody that. But we're evil. 
man, I can get out of this bit by what? By telling? Well, I did consider that. That's the truth. So if looking at a woman is like having sex with a woman, I think thinking about ratting is just like ratting. And I'm not going to call it ratting, but I was looking for a way out. Right. For my bad behavior, my sin, I was willing to take any way out at anybody's expense. It's just I didn't do it. I didn't do it because the street code, how people are going to look at me. <laughs> but that's what made me think, wow, 11 of them, well, 10 of them, went on to suffer. Went on to suffer. That, 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 that's, not, that's not human. It's not human. So let's get off all this stuff. His, I walked in the cross rivers, and these men began to mentor me. And I didn't want it. I wanted my wife back, so I went and sat with this guy, and I sat with that guy, and I'm, I'm letting my wife know, hey. Now, we were living separate at the time, too. I was living with a Christian guy from my wife's old church who was trying to take care of me, you know, trying to get me on my feet. So I want my wife to know I'm going to Bible study, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. But somehow these guys began to share something that was different. And not only did they share it, they were acting it. Hey, Robin, how about if I come get you at 530 and we go read the Bible? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they began to share their life. One being a drug addict, one being an alcoholic, one being this, one being that, and being totally relieved of the obsession to do any of that. So I've been sort of figured like, <clears throat> these are just goody two-shoes that didn't go through some bad stuff. Well, you know a lot of those people at church, cancer. <clears throat> um, I met three or four guys that are ex-convicts. They began to share something. I started going to these Bible studies, men's Bible studies, going to picnics with them, um, meeting our friends down at the camp meeting. And that's another thing that really, I'm going to say this, as much as being down at a camp meeting is spirit filled, my church has got just as big a spirit as any other church that centers on the cross, whether it be Jimmy Swagger or anybody. And I love Jimmy Swagger and Donnie and, you know, and Gabe and then and, and Lauren and all the pastors, but our church, you guys travel. <laughs> I don't know if your audience knows how far you travel when you guys come to church, but yeah, four this hours message. If listened to, can't help but speak to your heart, especially if you're a wretched man like me. Amen. Because we don't want to be that way unless you're so evil that you don't want to be good. I guess there's people like that. I've met them. But I began, here's something else, is progressive sanctification. No other church explained these things to me. I thought once you're saved, you're not supposed to think about this or gambling or, you know, I got to get out of church early because I want to see the bills play. But, you know, I mean, I didn't consider these things to be wrong. Well, I got to say this. <laughs> I sit in church today, and I, and, 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 and I wish it would never end. I don't care how many games I missed. I probably only <laughs> watched three football games this year, and it was last night's Cole Bills. <laughs> but I don't care about football on Sunday. I care about Jesus. Amen, brother. Not only on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Right. 
my sin, and I'm no different than anybody else's. I don't care if you're someone who um, stole a penny and turned to God because you felt bad about it, or or if you've done the most heinous thing in the world, is your bottom with your sin is your bottom. You know, pe people like to compare things, and we don't know how people's spirits are. Sin is sin. And when I began to see how these men were overcoming every day, they shared honestly. They didn't hide. I always thought people got saved and they were holy. Never did nothing bad again and, and didn't lie on their taxes and, and you know, didn't didn't cuss at somebody that they cut in front of them. And I'm not saying that these men did any of these things in front of me, but they shared about how they overcame them. Normal guys. Guys that are going through marriages that are a little tough right now. Guys that went through drug addiction. But they cared about me and my wife. But they didn't. What they cared about was sharing this message of the cross. And then they broke it down to me. Being saved. Baptized. That baptism, that there's a second baptism to the Holy Spirit. I never knew that. Catholic Church never taught me that. They explained what that was, that when the Holy Spirit fills us, that we're now given, we're given the comforter. We're given the way out to overcome sin. It had complete control over me, and it no longer does. Now, am I perfect? Do I think about it? I'm going to share something with you that I can't, I, I've shared it with you already. But when it happened to me, because I'm here to tell you, if I ever meet any of you people that I'm speaking with tonight, that Robin Coon always believed he lived by his word. And that my word is my word. I'm going to tell everybody this. And I mean this from the most bottom. The biggest part of my heart as I can. Is if you get on your knees today and you accept that Lord Jesus Christ for what he did for us, that that comforter, after being baptized and you receive the Holy Spirit, is going to be there to help you. And I'm going to share this story. And this is the most real story out of my whole story. The rest is all sin. God leading me to certain people. It helped too, but this is the most wonderful, precious thing that ever happened in my life. Because I'm on my way to work. On my way to work. I'm driving to go get gas and a pack of cigarettes. And I still have one vice left that I'm working on. You know, I don't hide things today. Um, and I got 45 minutes before I got to get to work. And I'm driving my truck down along the Niagara River, and I looked over into my passenger seat, and there was a black mass. And it didn't have a form, it wasn't a human, it didn't have a face, but it was a mass. I'm going to say it looked like a bunch of flies just together, and the inside of my truck got cold. And I knew what it was. And... People can say I'm crazy. My psychiatrist looked at me and 
<laughs> did it with a little wink and a nod because I still I still do see a psych about a, a, an issue. But anyways, <laughs> I looked over and the idea of driving through the neighborhood just to see who was there. And in that neighborhood that I'm talking about, anything you want is available. So, you know, it could be gambling, it could be this, it could be that, it could be whatever. But within a couple, three blocks, there's not one vice that's not available to you. And I looked over at that, whatever it was, and when I felt my truck get cold inside, I knew that it was a force from the devil. If not the devil, I, I don't know. I can't, I don't have that identification skill, but it wasn't good. And I looked up, I looked up and I think I had tears in my eyes if I remember right. And I didn't even use the word God and forgive me for that God because your name is holy. I looked up and I said, yo, dude, I've never beat that thing next to me. Please, please, if you're real, help me. And I swear, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, see, I still got old behaviors. <laughs> I looked over and it was gone. But the biggest thing that thought in my head, forget that thing that was next to me. It's the evil in my brain that wanted to go drive through that neighborhood. Right. Was gone. Wow. And I'm going to share this with the entire world. Is I've done... A lot of different drugs. I've experimented with different types of meditation, new age, um, um, mushrooms, this, that. I tried everything to feel good in my life. And there's times I felt really good physically. I never felt so good in my life. Whatever went through my body was the most electric, the most beautiful, the most warm feeling I've ever felt in my life. I think every cell in my body had something go through it. And all I could do is look up and say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that day validated that there was a Holy Spirit. Praise and God. And here's how I'm going to say we need fellowship like this and why we need to share with other people. Because had that day just been what it was, I wouldn't have had the men tell me with, now, Robin, Jesus ain't down here with you. God ain't down here with you. It tells you where they are. They sent the Holy Spirit. Guess what that means? You need to build a relationship with that entity, the third entity, the one God. You need to build a relationship with it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And I'm going to say this, is when I began to feel comfortable and humble and say, what do you mean build a relationship with Remember what my grandma said? Right. Conversation. <laughs> what do you think a conversation is, Robin? <laughs> yep. So my wife hears me walking around the house talking with God all day long. Need the Holy Spirit. I'm asking them questions. I'm bouncing stuff off my off of them. Like one day I said, yo, we got to have a sit down here. <laughs> I'm in the shower. And I, I said, Lord, man, Holy Spirit, we got to listen. I'm not comfortable with this. 
<laughs> this is, I said, you're dangling the carrot of heaven in front of me. And, 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 and what I was doing was still trying to live by laws. Like if I went to more Bible studies or if I watched Jimmy more or whatever, and I had to repent from that. But the Holy Spirit, if I could, if any of you could see my eyes right now, and I looked you in the eyes, you know, I'm telling you the truth. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Amen, brother. The grace that God provided us for that and the helper that he gave us is the most real thing in my life. And I'm not no, I'm not the best person. I still go through everything that everybody else goes through. The key is, guess what? It doesn't have dominion over me. The only thing I got to go to God about is God forgive me for thinking about going and gambling. Now, I'm not saying gambling's bad either. I think loss of control of it. But, you know, I got the bright idea because I got a $4,000 bill the other day. <laughs> and I got the bright idea to go to the casino and try and win my money. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, where did that come from? <laughs> where did that come from? Well, we know where that came from. Yep. You know, something I want to say is this. If you're a Christian and you're one of those people like me that are on the fence, just remember where the fence is planted. It's planted on this earth. And God gave this earth to the devil until he comes back. So don't get on that fence no more. Man, that's planted right into his world. Amen. You know, <laughs> so I went to... I got to share something cute. I want Kimmy to know I'm going to church back when this all happened, right? Cross Rivers. So I went to one of their Bible studies and they had a double rainbow. And it was during, before the Feast of Trumpets or whatever, they got the little horns and they're blowing. Man, I'm sitting in this Bible study trying to be cool. And all of a sudden, Pastor Mike walks in or somebody comes in and says, there's a double rainbow outside. And the whole church is running out. They were getting ready for possible rapture, possible whatever. You know, always look for it. We don't know when he's coming. But this whole church went outside saying, Jesus, come take me. Hands in the air. And I'm like, uh oh, hang on, dude. Man, can't you give me a couple weeks? Let me patch things up with my wife so when I go to heaven, she's not mad at me if I do go to heaven. <laughs> like, I was in shock. Like, they're all outside in that front driveway. Yeah. Thanking God. It, it was it was just the things that I've seen at that church that are so, how do I say it, intimate and intense and real. You know, these ain't nutty people, man. These are people of prominence, people right. of, they're auto workers, they're, they're accountants, they're, I mean, we have doctors and chiropractors, men of education. Just regular people. And they're submitting to one thing. The faith in what Jesus did on that cross. Right. And Kurt, I mean, you've sat in that church. You've sat in that church. And I've never, ever, 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 ever experienced anything like that in my life. Is when you walk in that church, and, and the Holy Spirit's in us. Don't, 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 don't get twisted about that's the only place the Holy Spirit is. But when you get a 
this week's service where us men went up and knelt at the altar to be better men, to be better men to our families, to be better men to our fellow brothers, and, 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 and to ask the Holy Spirit collectively as a fellowship. You know, I don't know how people, well, look around. Right. Look around. There ain't, there ain't a lot of people that have true joy, joy, joy. A lot of people have happiness from things. Right. But they have the joy of the Lord in their heart. And that doesn't mean, listen, life got harder for me living with God. It didn't get easier. It got harder. There's consequences when you accept him as your Lord and Savior and ask him in your heart. He, he's not joking. He's not joking, man. He's real. He's real. He's real. You might, you know, some people like me who, who get saved just because it's a good idea. Well, when you say it and you mean it, I'm, life got a lot harder for me because I had a lot of evil sin in me. That was normal. Just plain normal. And, and, and I got to say this, is when we sing the songs and we praise, we can't praise Jesus. We cannot praise Jesus enough or our God. We cannot praise him enough because, and Kurt, whatever your sin was and your bottom was, it hurt you so bad and you couldn't fix it. And my wife, like I told you, she stole some little, but that was her bottom. And she looked up and she she sought the Lord. And there's that one song, I sought the Lord, I prayed and he answered. Yeah. Well, if he didn't answer, we wouldn't be talking right now. Because yeah. I don't, man, even in the street, most guys will tell you that I was a man of my word. And, and street word. Well, today I'm I'm trying to be a man of God, and I don't try it. I ask the Holy Spirit to assist and help me. And I read. I get up in the morning. I read my Bible. I listen. I don't listen. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with rock and roll or country music or any of that. I still listen every once in a while to some of the older stuff. The music we put in our ears, the things that we listen to, my mind must be on Jesus. It can't be on anything else. Constantly. Not because I think everything's evil. Is the sin was so bad in my life mm -hmm. that I need Jesus 24-7, and I'm even afraid and I, and I just got back from South Dakota with my wife, and we went to Deadwood, and we went and seen the mountain and stuff. So it's not like I sit and hide. It's, but those things are able to be done today only because I know I need to keep my eyes on Jesus no matter what I'm doing. Yep. No matter what I'm doing. No matter what I'm doing. I'm not some, you know... I don't have, you know, you know, I do have Bibles in the car, but I got about three of them. But I'm not out there, but I, I'm not afraid to share Jesus. My friends that I work with, they ask me, what, what's going on with you? And I invite them to Cross Rivers. 
I share what's going on. They see a difference in me. Um, I've just suffered. I found out last year I've had two strokes. Found that out. <laughs> um, I'm just getting older. And I get up every, I get up and I told, I told the, the Holy Spirit one day, I said, Holy Spirit, I'm getting older. And I got my pension and retirement, but I like to make a little extra money on the side so me and Kimmy can take trips and go to camp meetings and stuff like that. And I'm going to say this, tithing. Tithing. And I, I used to think that was a bunch of malarkey. Um, we can't give God enough. Can't give God enough. Because he gave his life for us. Unrecognizable. They beat him unrecognizable. I, I, I like you guys down there in Pennsylvania. And, and if we ended up getting an altercation, you know, I'm pretty much going to stand with you. But I don't think I'm going to go let them do that to me all by myself because you guys did something wrong. I, I can't even watch The Passion of Christ unrecognizable right man the grace of god that he would give us his son the lamb the lamb so i don't have to sit here at night and despise myself for what i am i'm a child of god today i make mistakes i make mistakes i have some weird thoughts sometimes but uh you know what Sin don't have dominion over me. That's the key. Sin no longer controls me. Oh, it's in my life. It's in my life. You know, I, I still smoke. And we're working on that. But you know what? I ain't got a needle in my arm. I don't have a gun in my back pocket. I can go anywhere in this world. And I don't have to fear. And I don't have to wonder what people are thinking about me. Cause I don't care. Praise God. I don't care anymore, man. I, I took, you know, I just got to think about idols and stuff. And I had the Buffalo mafia bills, mafia thing in my window. And Mike sort of, you know, Mike, he always likes to put a little, and he, he was a quarterback who wanted to go on and play in life. But people that got to get out of church, go see the bills. You never see anybody in that church. try to leave see the bills just because they don't want to. Right. But I got this bills mafia thing on the back, big of my truck. I went and took it off, and I got the picture of Jesus on the back. That is, is a silver picture of Jesus with his head bowed. And I've watched three games this year, and I loved every one of them. And I still check the scores. But my life is so involved in gambling and point spreads and, and feeling bad that they lost. Guess what? We won last night. You know, when they lost a couple weeks, you know, five games ago, it didn't bother me. And it doesn't matter what they do tomorrow. Yeah, I like the Buffalo Bills. And 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 and, and, uh, and I feel bad for your Eagles down there. That was a bad <laughs> game last night. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you, Kurt, because I want to share this with all of us Christians. I attended an event last month. It's one of the most beautiful events I've attended, a revival. And there was a lot of empty seats, not because there was anything lacking in that revival. The gate's narrow. Right. Right now, you and me talk, Kurt, and I don't have any of my children that I'll see in heaven right now. Hmm. They don't believe what I believe. They tell me, Dad, you just got old. That ain't the way things are. 
and I, I'm, I'm looking at him and I want to tell him so I'm never going to see you again. Right. Man, do you know what hell is? Go read what hell is. Ah, that's dad. Sure, they had a whale. That you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Is my heart breaks now. You know, I, I can just keep sharing, but our job is, you know, like you had your little daughter there today, is is to teach them from when they're little the right. truth. Yep, the truth. Jesus is the only way you're going to survive this life. The grace that God gave us by providing that lamb. And guess what? You got to help her. And that is the best news in the whole world. We got to help her, Kurt. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got to help her. Because I could not, I could not function in this world. And I'm no dummy. I'm no dummy. I, build, I help build nuclear power plants. I'm not a dummy. Yeah. But I couldn't overcome the simple little thought of, hey, do that line. Hey, have a drink. Just one drink. Hey, say hello to that girl. You don't have to take her out, but say hello because she's pretty. What's all the underlying stuff behind that? Sin, yep. sin, sin. That's it. So thank you, Kurt. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for providing this wretched soul way out. I was on my way to hell. I was on my way to hell. And I'm going to go in the house and snuggle up with my wife. And I haven't made her cry today. I haven't made her cry in a long time. Praise God. And my my stepson's upstairs, which I wish he'd go get his own apartment. I love him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go tell him I love him. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And he stay here as long as he wants. Because that's, that's what we do. Yep. Amen. We take care of each other. And not just the family in the house. We're a family of Christians. And Jesus, God, Holy Spirit's our Father. He's our Father. You know, join your family. Thanks a lot, Kurt. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Uh, what a what a story. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's God's story. Yeah, God gets all the glory, man. And... Uh, yeah, it's always crazy, like, looking back, uh, you know, hearing testimonies and my own, you could always see where God was making his play, you know? Like, the the little things, like your grandmother and, you know, things Jason would say or Gary, you know, those little subtle hints and, you know, nudges, it, you know? <laughs> that are real, that stick in your brain. Right. You know that, what I mean? Like, yep. They're seeds. They're just seeds that that the Lord planted, and uh, to get you where you're at, you know, it's incredible. That that I was given an adopted father. That you know what? When we started the job, that my first job as a boilermaker, my father didn't want me to work with the trade. I told you, but they made me go on his shift, and he took me into the trailer that day, and he says, "Robin." You see those guys? Yeah, I mean, he didn't say it out loud to them. But And my father is a well-respected boilermaker. Um, he said, you see those men over there, Robin? He says they're the best boilermakers in the world. They work the power plants. They work the oil refineries. They build ships. They build nuclear power plants. They are the best in the world out of Buffalo. And like the Pittsburgh boys and the Philly boys, because we had all different aspects of the trade. Right. Right? He says, but they got nothing, Robin. They got nothing. 
they've been married two, three times that, that you know, like, it, and he says, Robin, he says, I go home to your mom. I give her my paycheck. She gives me money for a week. And my mom was not, she didn't give him $50, $60. She gave him what he needed. Right. You know, but there's times when my dad went to work with, with holes in his boots because it was tough times, but he lived differently than the rest of the world. And when my mom went crazy, forgive me, mom, forgive me, God. When I, I sat out in the driveway and I said, dad, you got to leave her. She's going to kill us. She's going to kill you. And my father looked at me, he said, Robin, till death do us part. And, and it was because of God. Right. He loved, he loved an unlovable woman who was being very hurtful to all of us, not because she wanted to, and I didn't understand it, but, and now I look at my wife in there and I was a very hurtful man. And somehow she stuck with me to where because of God, I got someone who cares about me. Something that I always wanted in my life is Amen. to know that somebody cared about me down here. But all God, all, all right. God. Yep. <laughs> You know, I, my, 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 my message with my wife here is the last two weeks I've been laughing, Kurt, like uncontrollably laughing. I wish I could, you know, I'm sharing with a couple friends from my past, a couple patch holders from the bike clubs, um, a couple guys from Cleveland. Um, and, 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 and I'm sharing with them like, man, God is the coolest boss in the whole world. Cause He's the only one who doesn't ask of us. He gives us. He gives us. And and I've been laughing so hard, Kurt. Like, my wife will come downstairs and I'm laughing. And she'll say, what are you laughing at? And I said, checkmate. And she says, what? I said, checkmate. I said, I wish I would understood because I'm a chess player. When someone says checkmate, there ain't no way out. Well, when, when you're playing chess with God, you keep, he's got you in checkmate. You're yeah. still trying to get out of checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> More problems. So I'll be sitting there thinking, why didn't I understand that? Checkmate. There right. ain't no other move I can make. Checkmate. <laughs> right. You know, I want to have a, I, I, I'm not sure about tattoos anymore. I'm, I'm covered, but on my back, I want to have <laughs> Pastor Mike will get mad at me. Is <laughs> I want to have a back piece where Jesus is playing chess with the devil, and he's got the devil in checkmate. <laughs> I mean, I just right. I want to, he listen. He won. There's he victory. It's over. There is victory. It's over. It is finished. Checkmate. Yeah. Now we just got to survive till he comes and gets us, and he's coming. He's coming. He's coming real soon, man. Real soon. Yeah, can you listen? I'll talk to Christians today that I meet in the street because now I meet Christians when I'm out there trying to mm -hmm. do what I'm doing. I'm going to meet who I do. But now, like Christians are being put in my life, and right. they say things like they say things like, "You know, he's coming." Oh my! And then you can look up and say, "No, he's coming, man. He's coming." <laughs> yep. But we're starting to communicate with each other, and it's almost secret in some ways. Yeah. You know? But there's communications going on. I had a, a welding tech come out on a job, and uh, and he said to me, what, what did he say to me? He said something, oh, about a church he went to, the chapel up here, where Mike used to go. 
before Mike started his church, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's identified as a Christian, and I, I don't know how deep they go into the cross, but before I went to Mike's church, I went to the chapel. You know, and and that opened Mike's. You know, it opened up something outside of Catholicism. Um, and the next thing he said to me is, he said, "You know, he's coming now." People, and like we're communicating with each other because we see it happening. You can feel it. Look at this world. Yeah. Look at this world. It's a mess. It's upside down. Upside down. Up, oh, man. I, I don't even want to go into, we all know what we see out there right. in a given day, what our schools are teaching our children. Uh. Well, you know, we, yeah, my granddaughter came home a couple weeks ago and she's sitting on this, you know, this is the son that committed suicide, his daughter. And she says, grandpa, she said, would you mind if I was a lesbian? I said, what? Uh. This 11 year old, 11 year old girl, wow. 11 year old girl. And I said, well, who told you that? And they said, well, the school's teaching us. The teachers. I said, yeah, I went in. I said, Grandma, go in there. Go in there, man. You tell her what a lesbian does. You tell her what a homosexual man does. It's not natural. Mm-hmm. And I heard her in there going, Grandma, they don't do that, do they? And I said, we got to tell our children the truth yep. about everything. We can't hide it no more, man. That is sick, evil behavior. The Bible says so it is. Yeah, well, in these last days, man, Satan's taking the gloves off and the mask off, and he's in plain sight everywhere you go now, and he's he's going for our kids. And if I if I could make it happen, I'm 100% going to homeschool my daughter because she's going to be she's going to be four in February. So I got like a year to figure something out, but. Well, I'm going to say this. There's some good Christian schools, too. I don't know about about your way, you know, but there are schools there that, like, we got our our, our grandchildren in Tim's old church, which is a very good Bible-oriented church, at least for the kids, you know? Right. Because they have a daycare there. Um, Cross Rivers don't, so, but they got a daily daycare there. And we have to keep our children protected Amen. because the messages that are being given to them at such a young age mm-hmm. is, you know, me and Kim were on our way to South Dakota, right? And we stopped at this amusement park, right? And then it was an indoor amusement park. And when I walked in there, you would have swore you were in a casino. Yeah. Now, I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it at first. But my wife says, Rob, look it. And it's not that it was wrong taking the kids on a ride or anything like that. But the indoctrination is so subtle yeah. that here's an amusement park with all these bells and bing yep, and bangs. Yeah, It's just like a casino. Yeah, it sure is. You know, it's crazy to and see. Not, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. It's just like the things that are so subtle. We, 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 we got to be we got to be on guard, man. We right. got to be on guard. The devil's real. And to see how much it's compounded in just, I mean, I'm only, thir- I'm going to be 37 this year, and I can say from when I was a kid, if our teachers were teaching us about uh, being homosexuals or lesbianism and all the stuff they're, they're teaching today, those teachers would have been drug out by their necks in the street and fired. Yes. Just when I was a kid. 
Yeah, health class is health class. Kids need to know about that. They don't need to be indoctrinated about their sexual orientation. Right. They God gave them sexual organs, and that's what they are. Yep. You know, now I know that there's a lot of weird little things out there where men and women have, you know, they two sexual, but I don't even understand that. And I, that's God for us to explain sometime. But man is man, woman's woman. And he gave us a role in that Bible. And if you begin to follow that role as man and wife, Amen. I've learned to get along with my ex-wife, which she deserved to divorce me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm truthful with her and I'm honest and she can't believe it. And, and we have limited contact anymore, but we still have children we talk about. You know? Right. And you know what? Because the woman in that house doesn't have to worry about where my loyalty is. She did before I walked in the cross rivers. And today, today, I don't want to sin. That's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. I used to wake up every it's so cool. Right. It's so cool. Man, it's the coolest thing in the world, man. I don't want to sin. We're a new Boy, creation. You know oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to say this. It's been the hardest year in my life because I had to deal with what was really who I really was with that sin. Right. You know, and there ain't no way out. There ain't no way out but Jesus. And you can, you know, we were out knocking on doors. Um, Sharon, Sharon Cross Rivers, and this guy called us a nut job. Right? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he, he, and then I seen Jeff, 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 Jeff was an ex-Marine, fought in Vietnam, but he, he, man, he loves Jesus. And he said, what? And he said, well, I'd rather be a nut job for Jesus than something else. And, and he said, you're holy rollers. And he says, at least I'm rolling in the right direction today. <laughs> and I laughed. <laughs> I laughed because oh, you man. know what? Call me what you want, but guess what? I used to put my head on my pillow at night, and I couldn't stand myself. Yeah. I hear you. Today, today, because of Jesus, I fall asleep with a clear conscience for today. And if I do make a mistake, I'm not ashamed to go to Jesus because I know he's the answer. Amen, brother. When you, when you, know, listen, when you know your car is going to start, you go out and start it. You don't go get another car. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You don't. And my car starts today. And, 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 and Jesus is the engine behind it. He gave me the grace. God gave me Jesus. And Jesus gave me the Holy Spirit, man. And, and listen, people call me crazy. But I ain't got a needle in my arm. I don't have to worry about bail tonight. And, and, and all I got to do is worry about taking care of that brain that has those thoughts and circum stop them with the holy spirit and i'm telling you it works it right. works no one can tell me it don't work amen <laughs> thank you kurt well brother uh, uh, we'll, we'll get wrapping it up here because i got my alarm yes. goes off at 2 45 in the morning but before yeah. we get out of here brother i want to give uh the listening audience uh tonight a chance to uh accept the lord with us tonight and pray a sinner's prayer yes. and you know anybody out there listening if if robin's testimony spoke to your heart tonight or if you know your life is similar to his or even if it, it you're just uh, a, an average joe you need jesus and you need him today because the time is very short and you know robin's testimony you know there's a you don't want to uh wait 
too long because you know not everybody has a story like mine and not everybody has a story like robin's but you can change your life tonight and all you have to yes. do is accept what christ did in your heart and it's not the words of the prayer that are going to save you it's the belief in your heart that'll save you so i'm going to lead us in a sinner's prayer tonight and robin is going to repeat after me and if you guys want to pray yes. along with us we're going to do that right now so dear god Let's in heaven pray together dear god, dear in, god heaven, in heaven i come to you today as a lost sinner i come to you today as a lost sinner i'm asking you that you save my soul i'm asking that you save my soul and cleanse me from all sin and cleanse me from all sin. I realize in my heart my need of salvation. I realize in my heart the need of salvation. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. Which can only, only, only come through Jesus Christ. I'm accepting Christ into my heart. I'm accepting Christ into my heart. And what he did on the cross to purchase my redemption. And what he did on the cross to purchase my redemption. In obedience to your word. In obedience to your word. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. And I believe in my heart God's raised him from the dead. And I believe in my heart, deepest part of my heart, that you raised him from the dead. You have said in your word which cannot lie. You have said in your word which cannot lie. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. And I believe that right now I am saved. And I believe right now I am saved. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, and hallelujah, Kurt. It's the most beautiful, beautiful thing anybody could ever do in their life. Amen, brother. Amen. And listen, anybody out there, if you prayed with me and Robin tonight, and you want to come on and share your testimony of what the Lord's done in your life and your born-again experience, just reach out to me at rustpodcast at proton.me. That's rustpodcast at proton.me. Robin, brother, it's been a pleasure talking to you tonight. It's been such a blessing. I thank you so much for coming on and sharing the time with me. Hey, Kurt, I'd like to say one last thing, because we do have a mission in this life that God gives us. If anybody, anybody would like to talk to me and, and, and have any questions or need to talk, you can reach me at jamesrcoon22 at gmail.com. And I would have no problem from that point on talking to you in other ways. Amen, brother. Amen. So anybody out there, if you want to get in touch with Robin, he just gave your email. You could go back and listen. Or if not, you could get in touch with me, and I'll put you guys in contact. Robin, I hope to see you again soon, brother. We'll be up uh, across river shortly. I'm soon. Uh, I'm, we're going to be doing some ministry work with Pastor Mike. So I'll be seeing you Excellent. soon, my brother. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Can't wait to get up here. Amen, brother. Hey, have a good night. God bless, and we love you. Uh, thank you so much. I love you, too. See you soon. Take care. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.